Hey guys, Jack here. Hope you all are doing well. I wanted to go over a few things that are worth mentioning now and again. There's a lot of things you can do at our website that cannot be done anywhere else. One of those things is to submit a hand history uh, for consideration to appear on the podcast. We have a form on that on our website. Our website is justhandspoker.com. If you go there, you can find lots of good stuff. We have a whole archive of blog content and uh, information about coaching, everything I think you might want to know from us that you aren't getting from the podcast uh, can be found there. Also, remember to review us on iTunes if you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, those reviews really help. I'm sure you've heard this on any other podcast that you listen to, but it has something to do with their algorithm. Uh, the more positive reviews we get, uh, the higher we show up in search rankings. It would be a very altruistic act, as it might not be in your interest to share this podcast with others, but uh, we would really appreciate it if you did that. And so consider it. Consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Um, a reminder, we are brought to you by our partners at Solve for Why. Solve for Why is going to be releasing a subscription training site. It's going to be one of a kind. I highly recommend checking it out. There is going to be a beta testing period, uh, I think right at the beginning of June. We have information in the show notes about how to become a beta tester. It involves sending an email uh, to applications at softwareacademy.com. Uh, more on that in the show notes. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, Zach. Hello, Jack. How are you doing? You must be extremely relaxed right now. I am relaxed. Yeah, I've got my, this is my first surprise massage I've ever, ever received, and I had to push back the recording. Thank you for your flexibility as always, Jack. And yeah, your pleasure, for that. Your pleasure is my pleasure. <laughs> uh, well, we're here now. And yes, we are. So is a listener hand that, at first glance, I thought maybe this hand wouldn't be worth discussing, but upon closer inspection, I actually think it's pretty interesting. This comes from the, oh, geez, how do you say that? Potawatomi Casino in Milwaukee. This is from a Saturday night game, 10 p.m. We're playing 1-3. So first we get a description of the villains. Villain 1 is an old man coffee. Uh, At the start of the hand, he is reading a paper to help him bet the ponies for the following day. Very tight pre, fit or fold, post-flop. Sounds about right. Villain 2 is a 20s male. Hero has been playing with him for about 6 hours and says he's an interesting player. Hero thinks he's smart and observant, but doesn't like a lot of the lines that he takes or the hands he chooses as bluffs. He plays too loose pre and bluffs too much. He does know, however, who to bully, who to hero call against, and who to make big laydowns against, etc., Made a good laydown with two pair against me earlier. Overall, he seems like the kind of guy who, once he's played more, will be crushing the game, but right now is probably a small winner. Hero's been very card-dead for the session, so will probably be perceived as somewhat tight. I did, however, recently win a nice pot where 3-bet ace-nine suited in the hijack versus Undergun 2, who was a bad-tilted rec player, playing at obscenely wide range. Despite me not really playing any hands, the guy on my right keeps loudly saying that I must be a pro or a good player and keeps trying to talk strategy with me. I mostly just try to change the topic and keep the conversation light and lively. Uh, the hand right before this one is relevant as it did not slow play, and villain two was watching the hand. I opened 9-9 under the gun, continued for almost pot four ways on a 9-8-6 two-tone, got one call, and bet half pot on an offsuit nine turn. Called a turn check raise and called a river jam. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So that's our that's our descriptions. Stack sizes. And we're playing 1-3, so we're pretty deep. 
Villain one has $400. That's old man coffee. Villain two, who's the laggy player with good feel, but is going to be bluff heavy in most spots, has $2,000. And Hero has $1,300. So it sounds like a good game. And yeah, it's nice to turn quads and then get a podcast hand very next hand. Ready to get into it? Always. Okay. So, villain one, under the gun one, opens to $12. Villain two, who's under the gun two, calls. Hero is in the big blind with pocket jacks. What are you doing here? Fold pre, I hate jacks. <laughs> and that's what villain did, and that's the that's the hand. Uh, no, if, if I was in this spot, I would be three betting. Mm-hmm. Three betting for value. I don't necessarily disagree, but let me remind you that villain one is an old man coffee who opened to twelve dollars on gun one. I think a lot of people would be concerned about three betting that player. But what are your thoughts? I mean it really depends on the player. There's definitely some types who might only open something like Queen's plus ace king under the gun plus one. But I think more often than not at the one two level, when you have an old man coffee type and they're under the gun, they're either going to be limping or probably using a pretty large sizing. And I think, you know, against the field with the information I have here, Jax is like well ahead of that range. And most importantly, like I'm gonna be able to play really well against a four bet because I could just pretty comfortably fold. So I'm gonna three bet. Yeah. I also like three betting. Hero writes three betting seemed a little thin out of position against a villain one opening from under the gun one. And I think I'm probably around 50% equity against this range, but I'm definitely going to have to fold to a four bet. This player would have to be opening really tightly, which is possible, but really tightly to be for you to have 50% equity against this range. But I would say that the fact that you're definitely going to have to fold to a four bet is evidence that you should be three betting here i mean if you're going to get four bet if if your opponent's range is so strong that you're just going to like get four bet all the time here then of course just call accept your good price but the thing is the fact that you can fold so comfortably to a four bet is really nice because it means when you don't get four bet you're actually up against a range you're doing very well against and putting in or losing 10 to 15 big lines here holding jacks versus this player Seems like a fairly good outcome if we can confirm that you know he has queens plus and we're beat. One thing I would say is that an old man coffee type I think is less likely to be positionally aware. So I wouldn't take the fact that he's opening from early position as evidence that he's going to be much tighter than he's on the button. You know, players who are playing a really tight set of hands normally don't know very much about the game of poker and maybe aren't making those sorts of adjustments that you expect them to make. So if you're very sure that you're behind this opening range, then of course call. But I think you should more strongly consider 3-betting. It'll give you a lot of clarity moving forward versus villain 1. And if you can squeeze villain 2 out of the pot, I think that's going to be to your benefit. Like having jacks being above maybe your perceived range does have some value. The thing is, uh, jacks isn't Always, it's not always going to be obvious like when Jax is the best hand post-flop. And being out of position against two players is going to make it more difficult to realize equity when Jax is less clearly the best hand. Plus, like if you get a great flop and then like villain one bets again, are you just like folding? Like Imagine, here's another thing about 3-betting. It's like, 
If you three bet here and villain one calls and the flop is three three deuce, you have like a, such a clear, amazing value bet. If you just call and that same flop comes and villain one pots it, like are you falling? You might, and I don't think it'd be a terrible play, but you know, I just think you you lose a lot of clarity when you don't three bet. So you have to be very certain about what underdefense range is at this point. I think for calling it's gonna be best. What did our hero do? Yeah, hero called. So the pot is thirty four dollars, I guess after rake. And hero flops <laughs> flops almost the nuts. We get Jack eight eight rainbow. So yeah, hero crushes it. Any case for leading here? Against some players, yes. Against this player, no. I think the old man coffee type that has an overpeer here, way more often than not, is going to make a large bet when they see this board. So I think you should let them make that large bet and then probably try to get in a raise. I think in some specific scenarios, you know, making like a small bet could be good, but that's pretty rare. I think betting here is sneaky and could be really good. But I think checking is very, very fine. I don't think you're likely to have much of a a difference in outcome by, like I think the what's his what whatever his name is, the old man coffee guy is very likely to put in money with certain hands and maybe not as likely to bluff. I do think some old men coffee will just kind of go off with a hand like ace king in these spots where they've been waiting for a good hand all day, miss and then just like kind of shift to tilt bluff mode. One thing I like about leading is that I do actually think old man coffee calls 20 with ace king and where I am saying that like he has a bluff frequency with that hand, but I don't think he's calling a check raise with that hand. And I, I do think we should be check raising here if we're going to check. I just don't see any reason to, if old man coffee bets, not just seize initiative and try and extract the max early in the hand. The other reason to check is that you might expect villain two to bluff a lot here when check two. You know, Zach, having at one point maybe been somewhat along the lines of villain two, is this a board that you would have in those days taken a stab at if two people checked you? Or in this situation, like maybe one type player checks from the big blind and then uh, an old man coffee type checks to you after opening preflop and your last act on this board? Yeah, it depends on the game dynamics. I'd say, you know, assuming I haven't shown down a lot of bluffs, I think I'll bet around like half the pot more often than not. But I've also many, definitely a large percentage of the time where like maybe I've just shown one bluff and you could just tell that, you know, you, you know how I am. People people don't like to, to give me credit for hands, which is good and good and bad. So especially a one-two. People don't like to fold for one bet generally. Yeah. I mean, what's kind of awesome about leading is that the amount of times that villain two just stabs here correlates highly with like how often they might decide to try and blow you off a jack. I think what villain two is likely to understand in this situation, based on your description of him, is that he is the one who can most easily represent an eight which is really important, obviously, on this board. When we lead out, I think a lot of people will put us on a jack without thinking that much else is possible. And I I think that's kind of 
The beauty of the lead is that based on the context, we are underrepresenting our hand. We might eliminate some single barrels from villain two, but anytime we can induce like a bluff raise, it's just fantastic. Plus, who knows, you know, old man coffee might just raise aces for value slash doesn't know what to do. There's just good things that can happen. Also, villain two could have an eight and he'll probably raise those hands. Anyway, you can't really go wrong here. You flopped top boat. Hero writes that he expected villain two to fire with a lot of his range. Uh, so, and it was surprising when it, he didn't. The flop checked around. Hero did check. Both players checked. And so given both of your reads that villain two is going to stay up here a lot, I definitely can get behind the check. I just think leading here is sneaky and should be considered. Pot is $34. Turn is the seven of hearts. At this point, are you checking again? Yeah, I am. I just I think that most of our value targets, if they didn't bet the flop, are going to be betting betting turn. Mm-hmm. What value target might that be? I think uh, you know I would expect an old man coffee to bet their overpair on the flop, but I don't think it's guaranteed. Most are going to be betting that hand, but sometimes they'll be like, oh, you know, one of these players should have trips, so I'm going to check the flop. So I think that then when you get checks again, they'll bet the turn. The The assumption here is that they bet call right. okay. over pairs. And, you know, there's definitely some players where they're not going to be bet calling. They're going to be bet frustratingly folding. But I think you're going to get more money in in the long run going for the check raise, even if maybe they fold maybe a slight majority of the time versus just like bet betting. Also, yeah, I- like, you know, you know, 9-10 to hand. Someone could have, yeah, very I think unlikely. I think it's, for the but second player, right? I, I think it's very unlikely for the, either player to have nine ten. So I, I think our main value targets are going to be like, I mean, basically just like over pairs that old man coffee checked on the flop. Yeah, I'm just concerned that like our range is too strong to get a check raise called, and we're more likely to to get action from just betting twice, and. You know, another category of hands that Old Man Coffee could have that they might bet themselves, but they also might not, would be like nines and tens. And I think those are very, very likely to call a bet. So, yeah, I I just think that we're more likely to get two bets in by betting the flop. I think our check-raise range is just like going to be perceived as fairly nutted. And I think we'll get an impressive amount of folds. And yeah, I just think it's not super likely that villain two is going to stab here. He just doesn't represent a lot. And so, yeah, I just wouldn't expect him to like have his deuce of spades and just start going for it. Yeah, that would surprise me a lot. And that's where, or do you agree with that about villain two? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's our fundamental disagreement with hero who writes that 99% of the time, I would bet this turn, but I thought for sure if I check, Villain 2 will fire at it and likely bet big on the river whether he gets there or not. And I think that's just a little optimistic. And it, it does check around. Hero checks twice, and so do uh, villain, Villains 1 and 2. All right, so <laughs> we get to the river. It's $34 in the pot. The river's a 5. And Hero is 
tired of checking. Uh, and I don't blame him. <laughs> and bets $30, close to pot. So what do you think about this bet, about this sizing? I think in this spot, it's like, it's really shitty. Like, we don't want to check around three times. And I've been in a spot before where, you know, you play something as a check. Maybe it was even a mistake on an earlier street. Maybe it wasn't. But you just kind of feel bad, like, oh, I have a green, I want value. But really think, like, what is going to maximize my EV here? You know, like, what are hands that are checking twice that are calling a pot size bet versus, like, what's the percentage chance that some hand bets or maybe even bluffs? And then maybe what's the percentage that some of those hands are showed on value call, like, a massive check raise? So these are just kind of the questions that I would think about. And I think more often than not, I would end up trying to check raise river here, knowing that more often than not, it's going to check through. Yeah, I agree with you, man. God, this game is funny. <laughs> I really, I thought it was close on the flop. I really preferred bet on the turn. And now, like, nothing has really changed, but I just like checking way better. It's not that I think it's impossible that the old man coffee has something they can call here. I still think tens and nines are possible, but I'm not sure they would call 30. So if I were going to bet, I'd bet smaller. And I think because we're targeting such a narrow range, that is going to force us to bet small. I think this is where we can induce from villain two, who might just like take a stab at it now, like rather than just let it check through three times. I know that maybe, maybe I sound insane for like feeling that way, but that's just how I, I feel about this situation. That's my, that's what my gut's telling me. I like checking here. If I were going to bet, I would prefer betting smaller. I think betting pot is, you know, when you think about how weak your opponent's ranges are, it wouldn't make sense to bet pot. And I think, like, the sizing is more like, all right, I got to get something for flopping a boat. I understand that feeling, but I think the, the bet size is misguided. That being said, <laughs> here is where the hand gets fun. So here bets $30. Villain one folds. Villain two raises to $80. I think... Without a doubt, Zach, you would agree that Hero should raise? I don't know. I put it on quads. <laughs> Hero raises to $200, which I think is... I mean, we're just not really going to like be able to represent bluffs very easily here. But we still just have to raise. And I guess hope Hero just slow played something that's really awesome but isn't quads. Which I villain. Villain 2 starts to give Hero, in quotes, the speech... Uh, the one amateurs give when they have a nutted hand. He starts talking about how much hero must not think he has anything and how I probably don't have anything either. Villain then raises to $450. Yeah, so so first off, if I'm hero here, after villain raises to 80, I'm just shoving. I think when he raises to 80, it's like a very unlikely bluff and just a lot of boats. And that by raising to 200, like you're going to miss value when he opts not to like put in another re-raise with like like with the revered full house with pocket fives, I guess maybe raising to 200, you're like getting value from some of like some eights, just like bear eights that opted out to bet. But I think it's unlikely based on the description that he shows up here with like a bear eight often. So yeah, I think, uh, I think we should really just be shoving and yeah. Okay. I think if we were like 500 deep, I would love a shove. Keep in mind, we're 1300 deep to start the hand. Oh, sorry. I yeah, I was I thought we were like 500 deep to start the hand. <laughs> yes, cool. Okay. So, I agree. Let's not shove. 
Uh, we don't want them to make like a crazy hero fold with the river <laughs> full house. Uh, but let's make more than 200. Let's make it like 300, 350. Here's what I like. I like the sentiment of, I think villain is likely to three bet or sorry, uh, I guess four bet us with boats, maybe not fives, but eight, seven, Jack eight, I think are very likely to go ahead and four bet. I mean, also consider that like we're playing outside of our range a little bit. We're not like so likely to hold jacks. And so when villain is blocking an eight, it makes it very hard for us to have a better hand. But yeah, when, when villain just like has a bare eight and maybe is more so bluff catching when we three bet the river like this, I think we do want a size larger so that we extract more from the calling range. And I think that that desire to size larger is also evidenced by what happens you know, as the hand plays out. So villain two does four bet to four fifty. And so now hero has to decide whether to raise again or just call. And I think we're starting to get to the point where it's like maybe we are in a an head of our hind situation where we can't raise again, or like do we raise fold? Like Yeah, I'm not I'm just not sure that like villain two is like automatically like piling in like 50 times the pot on the river without the nuts. And he's allowed to like have slow played eights. Like it, I actually think pocket eights four quads is a very likely hand for him to have played this way, given that now he's raising. I'll add what hero thinks hero writes. He has one possible combo of eight, seven suited. Uh, and that's important to note that there's not more eight sevens. One possible combo of eights. The hero thinks most of his pocket fives bets flop or turn based on how he's played. And I am not ready to say that. So I'm definitely giving him like at least one, if not two combos of fives. And I think all three combos of fives are possible. Hero's seen him barrel those types of hands before. Hero writes, there's zero possible combos of jack eight suited. Uh, so that's important to note. And Hero writes, I doubt he has many bluffs here, especially after the speech, but it's possible. Uh, but bluffs doesn't, that doesn't really make us want to raise again. All right, so we're up against one possible 8-7, one possible 8-8, eight, eight, three possible 5-5, five, five, although Hero is discounting that. And that's really it in terms of value targets. I don't think we're getting called by Ace-8 here. Yeah, I think the real question here is, like, if we shove, what percentage of the time does 8-7 suited call? Well, and what percentage of the time the pocket fives call? Yeah, and I, I think... I think it's really low for fives. Yeah, same. And I think it might be really low for eight seven. So, and it's really high for eights. <laughs> so yeah, I would just flat. Like I, I think it's really awesome and important that you paid attention to the suits here, because if if the configuration was slightly different and all of a sudden there's two jack eight suited combos possible. Two eight seven suited combos possible. Then I think like, yeah, just shove it in there and hope hope for the best. But yeah, you're targeting so much thinner that yeah, I would just I would just flat. And this is another reason to obviously raise bigger because if we can get villain to voluntarily put in seven hundred fifty dollars with eight seven instead of four hundred fifty, yeah, that'd be awesome. It turns out that 
the villain uh, had 8-7 suited. So we'll, I guess, never know if he would have called or not. Well, he would have folded after he saw the jacks. So they could have asked him, you know. And he said I would have folded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, naturally. Well, the mystery goes on. But, you know, <laughs> this is a, there are a lot of interesting spots in this hand. In a lot of ways, I think we disagreed with your play. But I think you're thinking about the game well. And I think part of the reason that both of those things are true is that when you flop a boat, it's easy to just, like, not be able to think rationally about the hand anymore. And just be like, uh, I have a boat. I check. I check. Fuck. It checked through twice. I bet pot. That That's very consistent, like, emotionally. Like, oh, someone's going to bet this flop. Oh, they didn't. Well, someone's got to bet this turn card, right? You know, I, I think you're falling victim to this a little bit. And if you had led turn or even led flop, like, I think you would have got in all the money. And that's that's obviously results-oriented. But, yeah, it's it is worth taking a couple extra breaths, a couple extra extra seconds to decide next time you have a boat. And that's my advice. Anything else you want to add, Zach? No. Well said, Jack. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week.